What's up, all you beautiful people? It's your boy, Hobart, coming to you on this last podcast of the year. That's right, folks. 2021 is on the horizon. 2020 is kind of in our rear view. And uh, and we're doing it. I wanted to get you guys one last one in. You know, something to listen to while you're making your holiday ham or your vegan falafels or whatever you guys do for your uh, for your holidays, whether it's a a Hanukkah latke or a Christmas goose or a Kwanzaa um, injera. I don't know. My I don't know what you eat for Kwanzaa. I'm sorry. Uh, but I hope, I bet it's delicious and I would love to taste some. If anyone has any beads on some sick Kwanzaa cuisine, holler at me. Um, but yeah, all that being said, man, what a year it's, uh, it's been pretty epic. I mean, I know that it's been really hard for a lot of people, um, for myself too, you know, especially with a lot of the, just the political realities and the contentiousness and the strife it's difficult not to feel anxious about the state of things um especially as i see people getting more and more apparently fundamental about their their background i mean can't we all just get along guys um all that being said though uh yeah man this has been what a year i feel like this is really like the year in my life where I finally took that mantle of, uh, of defining myself as an artist and of being able to say that, you know, kind of with my head held high and, and not feel like an imposter, feel worthy of, of, uh, of my peers, of which um, I'm really grateful to have such talented people in my circle and in my network. And um, it's kind of a nice segue to uh, to talk about my guest today because um, he's a fucking giant. Um, I, you know, you never know who lives in your neighborhood. <laughs> it's a good start to a rant, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure any one of you out there, you know, if you walked a two block radius of your house would find some pretty amazing people just tucked away in your neighborhood. Um, we live in a pretty amazing place. You know, the Bay Area has long been this epicenter for creative thought and vision. And, you know, th- though the landscape has changed uh, with, you know, th- this tech industry and this influx of uh, many different people and a lot of artists getting pushed out as things get so crazy expensive. Um, there still is this intense uh, drive to create and innovate in this place. And I think that's a large reason why so many people flock here and why it is such a desirable place. Um, suffice it to say that, you know, all around us are are amazing creative individuals and they're not always maybe think people that we're aware of, but I I try to, you know, strike up conversations with strangers on the street as much as I can. You know, obviously it's gotten harder during the shutdown, but one such person, uh, was my neighbor Forrest, who I happened to, uh, 
come into contact with over you know the last couple months and uh, we tell the story we get to the story in in the podcast but this dude is just man talk about killing it as an artist you know talk about uh working and bringing into fruition these grand ideas and dreams and daring to dream and following it through and building a career in the arts um that's you know, not just inherently satisfying, but also um, that is being recognized time and again by by these large institutions. Um, Forrest is an illustrator and has his his uh, his own studio called Draw Everywhere. Um, he's from Sonora. Grew up, uh, you know, doing graffiti and drawing just a ton, and. Um, he ended up designing and executing the first ever art show in space. Just let's just take a minute to let that set in. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. This guy had the first art show in space. Like that's we're getting some high grade talent here on the podcast finally, you know. No, just kidding. Everybody's great. Um but yeah, this guy freaking put his art on satellites and I don't know I'm a huge sci-fi nerd I think that's pretty damn cool first art show in space what a what a accolade to get to attach to your name um Forrest is now the principal artist at Google AI Quantum where he uh designs and builds or you know, paints, uh, these beautiful murals, um, that, that actually are installed on the outer casing of the quantum computers, as well as in the labs themselves. Um, the idea being to, to stimulate creativity and open channels of connection and communication with, with these high order scientists and get their minds thinking outside the box. Something I think is really worthy and, and, and really inspiring to see being executed in, in this field. Um, he's, uh, incredibly driven and pr- passionate about his work and, and super open to just, uh, living in the philosophical space as well. So, you know, that, that definitely allowed me to, I think, interface in a really intuitive way with him. And we definitely have a lot to talk about. I don't, I think this is going to be the first of many, um, but yeah, it was just great, you know, connecting with him and learning about this guy that lives like three doors down from me who just happens to be this um, amazing, prolific Bay Area artist who's kind of on the cutting edge. Um, I did get to see uh, recently uh, one, uh, one of his completed pieces, the one he was talking about with Yosemite and Tuolumne, and it's it was just gorgeous. He has like, this amazing style, and I really, you know, recommend to all of you to go check it out check out his his art because it's pretty it's pretty dope um yeah so we we dive into a whole range of topics um from his story i I wanted to get a lot of his biography out because it's pretty fascinating um especially you know to someone like myself who is still you know relatively early on uh on his creative path i'm i'm you know, I'm kind of just getting started. And the more that I learn about it, you know, like any pursuit, the more you see that how much you don't know. And, uh, 
so just getting to talk to someone who's you know he's i think he's like seven or year eight years older than me and definitely farther off uh along that path but but so generous with his knowledge and uh, his wisdom and um it was really you know got my got my gears turning and uh and really got me excited we might we might uh, actually be doing some some special projects here that we might release um on this platform um so yeah really stoked to have forest on um one last little bit of housekeeping you know uh after the last episode episode 20 um the bart cast we broke through a thousand streams which is pretty wild you know it's it's definitely a milestone marker on content creation and it's pretty crazy to me that that many of y'all listen to me talk (laughs) and listen to my voice and i'm really touched and honored uh that we've gotten there and it just you know it's it's just another indicator uh of the track that that i'm on and of that you know that people are listening to this art form that i'm that I'm kind of trying to continue to refine and grow. And so thank you all so much. Um, those of you that are just coming on now, and those of you that have been here every step of the way, going to continue this project into 2021 and try to keep coming up with cool and interesting guests and funny and thoughtful conversations. And, um, certainly, uh, excited, you know, to continue to expand the Bartcast. Um, couldn't done it without you. So, uh, yeah, one last thing, you know, we did this remote. Um, my remote recording system is still not perfect and I'm, I need to find a better solution. So I apologize. Uh, we had some issues with, with the recordings coming out of sync and cracking out. So I ended up having to go with, uh, one of the tracks I recorded that has both our voices, but it was both of them recorded onto one track. So you'll notice that my voice is a little quieter and his is a little louder. So apologies if that makes it harder to adjust your volumes. There might be some crackling as well, but um, but I will be in 2021 trying to find a better remote recording solution. I've been using this program called Audio Hijack, which is cool, but um, that and Skype, I don't know if it's Skype or Audio Hijack, there's some issues, so... We'll try to do better. I hope it's. I hope the audio quality doesn't prevent you guys from from experiencing this because it's a. It, you know, it was a really fucking cool conversation, and I know I'm like super inspired by it. And I hope that you guys are all able to, you know, to to dig in and interface with uh with the, you know, just what is a really cool story and a, and a really cool person. Um, so, all that being said, without further ado. Uh, happy holidays, everyone, and let me introduce to you my my newest friend and neighbor, amazing galactic voyager of the creative illustrative arts, line warden of the West, shading crosshatch wizard, first of his name, Mr. Forest Practice Stearns, on this episode 21 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise.
buddy. How you doing? Dude, doing good. We had to we had to tangle with some uh, do some digital ghost busting, but I think that we're all good now and things are rolling along smoothly and certainly appreciate all the patience. I know this this stuff can always be a little tricky, but uh but that thus is the the life of the remote content creation. <laughs> <laughs> the duende and the machine. I like it. Exactly. Yeah, man. So um I want to just provide a little context for for all the listeners out there. Forrest is my neighbor. He lives four doors, three doors down from me. And um, I think that the way that you first came into my life, me and a, it's actually an earlier episode of the Bartcast with my buddy T. Luke. We were uh, parking his big work truck and uh, we were trying to park it. And the only spot we could find was right in front of your house. And it was like, just like maybe by an inch sticking out into your driveway and you were uh, working on some some curious kind of looked like a cardboard cylinder and uh we we asked you if we if you could park there and you obliged us and and uh <laughs> and then i remember and i asked you i was like what is that thing and you uh you were like it's a quantum computer and i was like what i i wasn't sure if uh you were being uh like if it was um what's the word i'm looking being facetious or making a joke or what uh and then later couple you know months later i was walking back uh from doing a podcast actually at my friend's house and we just fell into conversation and it, it flowed really naturally and i learned that you are this prolific artist and uh creating you know i think i felt immediately kind of like a kinship towards your mind and the way that you conceptualize uh, not, not only art but expression and and uh and direction and so you know before long i think we've been talking for less than five minutes i was like hey man want to come on my podcast and uh <laughs> and you gave me your card and you're very uh generous and with you know agreeing to do this and thank you so much for for coming on um and it's taken a little back and forth as these things do and finally got you here on the Bartcast. what's up man man what up the Bartcast on the block i like yeah. it I like it. Well, thanks, man, for having me. I'm honored to be here. And it's fun to have a little artistic hobbit hole, which I get to open the doors on nice sunny days and work out in the driveway and meet the neighbors. And even even in masks, you know, it's nice to have a little little chatted up with with the neighbors. And it was great to meet you. And I'm happy we're here, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, my pleasure is mine. And I just want to echo that and say, like, it's so nice for me, like when I'm coming home or I'm going on a run to, uh, to see you there. Like it makes, it really gives the, like the block a feeling of community. I'm one of the, I've lived on the street for like three years at this, at my location and trying to connect with the neighbors. You know, I think we both come from these small country towns and, uh, that's something I've been really wanting to do in, in our local community. So seeing, you at work with the door open, uh, it really does create that feeling. And it's, it's so cool. Like you never know who you need to live next to, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and getting to in doing research for this and learning more about you and your, and your story. Um, you know, I've also discovered that we have all these friends in common as well, which is super cool and, and not at all surprising in the microcosm of the Bay area. Yeah, man. And 
this block is a good block. There's some good folks on this block. And I have a six-year-old daughter, so she's she's pretty amazing, pretty outgoing. She loves to just stand on the front stoop and just yell hello at people and just get <laughs> get the chat going with everybody, which is, you know, it's a wonderful icebreaker to have a little shiny-eyed kid be like, hello, what's up, yo? Mm-hmm. And just like she doesn't have a problem chatting it up with anybody. That's so that that has opened me up to this neighborhood in a beautiful manner, you know, in a really honest manner of just being family, family oriented. And there's a lot of families and a lot of other creatives, a lot of old school folks that have been on this block for a while that I just love to chat with. And then, you know, meeting you, I was like, wow, this is another, another creative, another friend that that's just in the making. So yeah, man, thanks for reaching out and coming by on the days that I'm outside. Hell yeah, dude. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, so yeah, you, Forrest, <laughs> are an artist. True, true. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, w- from what we've talked about, what you've told me, uh, you were you were telling me that you primarily would define your your work or your passion as being in the realm of illustration. Yeah. What uh? What separates? What makes an illustrator different than uh, say like a um you know, a, a different type of visual artist, like what's unique, where, where does the title of, of, of illustrator begin and end? Oh, uh, that's a, that's a great question. And I feel that question a lot in the sense that I feel like illustration is the presentation of which the art is being made in. And to step it back one step, I love to draw and my moniker is draw everywhere. It's truly been, the sport that I've always done. It's truly been the drug of choice that I can always go to that always keeps me so inspired. Mark making just flows out of me. And luckily, this beautiful pursuit of drawing aligns with the profession of illustration. And really, illustration comes down to like, how do I work with you and help you illuminate your beautiful and passionate ideas through my ability to draw or paint or photograph or really bring it, bring images to your writings and together that illuminates points and when those points are illuminated the world can really understand and be inspired you know some people use illustration to sell things and other people use illustrations to really prove points and articulate really beautiful philosophy and some people use illustrations to be like stop don't step in this hole and ikea uses them without words to help you put together these giant (laughs) obscure pieces of wood and in other languages you know so you know illustration is like how do how do we bring illumination to other points and it's separate than fine art it's separate than just drawing it's really like the the craft of applying those things to to a a collaboration Really, I love collaborating, and that's my jam. Yeah, I get this image of you as like a modern day scribe, you know, huh. that uh, just as like in the days of old, you had this this uh, kind of class of of um, of like learned artisans whose job it was to to document, to translate, to convey meaning through Im- through symbols. Yeah, it's, it seems like that's you know what you've just described is is taking concepts and ideas um and transit translating them onto the visual spectrum in a way that uh that the layman can can experience the meaning of of the creator yeah 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 and to me you know where fine art may be about you standing in a white room with 
a big piece of beautiful artwork in front of you that you are trying to articulate the emotions from. You may be trying to wrap your own experiences through this beautiful piece of art, whether it be beautiful or abrupt. And in my case, I want to draw with you so you know the emotions that we are trying to explain together. And, you know, I, I like what you just said about the scribe. You know, it, it taps into as, as someone who has practiced both fine art and graffiti and drawing my whole life. You know, I'm really about writing on things and really about writing with people and explaining things visually. And maybe it's because I was never really a great student. So this was always kind of my superpower that got me through. Mm. But truly, this has been the practice that has always brought me the most joy. And it's it's something that I can share with the elders and it's something that I can share with the kids. And people are a mark-making species. You know, we yeah. do this. We are communicators through marks. Probably before we had language we were drawing things on walls and saying, you know, there's there's food over here and there's there's poison over there. Watch out for <laughs> watch out for that dude. He's got a big stick and like that's where you're gonna go get the fresh water. You know, we just draw that stuff on walls right. and other people would follow that. Like so, that's that's something that I like to like to think that the work that I'm doing has direct connection to why humans drew on the cave walls and like what's next. And as we as we migrate off this planet. Like we're going to need people that are telling our story to the next space, to the next place. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I have a, this, I had this question come up as I was uh, listening to the earlier, the podcast that you did with your friend. And, and that is, uh, what's, what's the thing that you would, would you say that you like draw the most when you like, not in like a formal way, if you're like on the phone and you're doodling or when your like mind finds that kind of just blank space where you're not, you don't have an objective. Like, what do you think is like that? Do you have like a go-to character image that, that that's kind of like your like neutral position that you like to mm. That's, that's interesting that you asked that. I am an avid practitioner of keeping a sketchbook. And I mean, so much to where I keep a sketchbook behind the back of my pants, like in, in between my belt and my the in my pants and my, you know, underneath my shirt or behind my jacket, whatever I'm wearing. Like I always have my five by eight sketchbook with me and I'm always, always drawing in it. And it's kind of like an extension of my own hand and my own body. When I don't have it, I'm like, oh, Tori, my, my partner's name is Tori. I'm like, where's my sketchbook? She's like, you have a tile in it. Like, call it on your phone because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I need my sketchbook. And I feel like a, a, a less of a human when I don't have this extension of my own technology. So to your point, man, I'm always drawing. And my, my go-to seem to be like beautiful script lettering that I'm always practicing. Mm. Stupid monster character, Dwinde, beautiful little weird spirit fey bugs that i'm always drawing you know like mixing street art with fantastical beings nice. and i you know i have to say that a beautiful place where my brain goes is drawing graffiti letters and i think there's a very strict science that i learned early on in studying graffiti that i still like to adhere to when i'm drawing in my sketchbook and that really brings me back to center almost like an engineering mind when i'm engineering letters so Kind of depends on where my mind's at and how much time I have. But I mean, I'll share my sketchbooks with you. I go through a sketchbook about every month and I have for 15 years. So I got a whole stack of them. And, you know, so 
I have given myself permission to really write down every idea creatively, every idea that I have, so I don't have to have it twice. So I can have uh, ideas with my ideas and from myself and have a conversation. So I draw a ton. <laughs> so yeah. the go the go to is to draw um, lettering characters. Graffiti seems to be a thing that I do a lot, but you know, it could be anything. I love to draw nature. So I, it could be trees. It could be my kid doing some stupid, wild, awesome thing. Like, you know, it's all good. Hell yeah. That's it. That's so cool, man. Like I'm, I, I've always been a big drawer myself. I never really considered myself like a, you know, like a, a, what legitimate or, or a, a formal drawer. I always had friends that were like, had the gift, you know, but, uh, but my mom, you know, growing up, you know, single mom raising two boys, she would always tell me and my brother, you know, if you're, if you're mad at each other, I want you to draw a picture about it. So we would have these like epic fights on the page where I'd be like, well, this is you. And I'd make like a stupid face and he'd be like, (laughs) well, this is you, you know? And like, we'd have the, we'd have it out over like a sketchbook over numerous pages of like how, how like doofusy can I draw my brother, you know? And, and, you know, for me growing up, I think writ spaceships, I'm, I've been like the biggest sci-fi nerd. Oh yeah. So like, I always really loved drawing and making up cool spaceships. And, um, that was like something that, you know, that there was like no, no limit to, but, but, but then in college it, it really helped, you know, I, I think I'm someone that when I'm taking notes, a lot of times I'll be, you know, in the margins doodling and, and doing some, like, it's a, it's a way that helps me kind of like store data in my mind. Like if I'm making an image while I'm hearing it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's right brain, left brain. That's, that's brain. That has been studied now and absolutely pointed to that's how we exercise our brains is by using both sides at the same time, listening and looking and writing and repeating it in our brain. Like we're going to learn faster and better when we do that. Absolutely. Dude, that's killer. Yeah. The, um, I want to see some of your monsters for sure. Cause oh, dude, it's on. <laughs> I love that stuff. Um, and did, did you, so like drawing has, has kind of been, would you say drawing has been like your, that was kind of like the first, your like entryway into this wider world of, of, of being a creative is, was that like mm. the first medium? Yeah, I think, I think you you got a point there. It's I'm an only child and I grew up in a small town called Sonora, just outside of Yosemite. And my parents are both actually from the Bay area, from Castro Valley. So I, I grew up in the country and I was always, always feel like drawing was coming through me, always explaining things with drawing, uh, never really a great academic student, but drawing was always the thing that got me to show up in front of, in front of the paper and then eventually on walls and eventually, you know, in front of canvases. Um, but I think it really helped that I had two supportive parents that helped me believe in, uh, the ability to practice and show up and deliver, a final presentation of my work, not just start something, but like see it through and finishing. So they had me in the county fair early on. And my mom was a graphic designer and a calligrapher when I was growing up. So she had like, she was teaching me, I was under her wing and she had created illustration jobs for me when I was in elementary school. She was like farming out jobs for me. And 
you know, I wasn't great, but I was learning how to present and how to not be afraid with my art. And where I may not be the best public speaker, and I'm kind of afraid to like get in front of a crowd. Um, I learned very early that I could rock a big painting or a big drawing with my back to the crowd and be just fine being on stage. That's dope. Just have fine. Done, like, have you done a lot of live painting then? Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of live painting, and you know where, like I said, when I I would be afraid to take a mic and really address the crowd. You turn my back to the audience and I will crush a piece. I'll, I'll do as big as I can reach. It's, it's like, why does the stage? doesn't matter. Like, let's do this. And it really has been, you know, a superpower and a crutch. Like, I see it now for what it is. It's like, this has really been what I've leaned against. Mm. And, you know, to your point of like, when did it start? Well, it started early, but I think that I did really lean upon it so much that it's taken me into my adulthood to figure out like, okay, how do I play that? into a more well-rounded Forrest Stearns? Like, how do I play that into a more rounded, even creative running a studio? It's like, I need to speak up and be more brave about public speaking because I'm good at drawing, but I don't want to be just good at drawing. Like, I want to be well-rounded. And honestly, like, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I don't want my kid to just be a drawer. I want her to be what she wants to be, but I want her to be damn, uh, like, excited about getting excited about education and be real curious about about figuring things out and exploring things. And if drawing's her jam, that's cool. But she could also be anything, you know? So I believe in it and I think that it should be taught, but. Yeah. It's, it's funny how, I mean, it's, it's really, it's beautiful how um, I think that like any one of these doorways that, that uh, it's, it's like almost like a, um, we all get through chance and through the luck of the dice roll hands were dealt in life. Um, we have these like gateways into touching like the infinite, that, 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 you know, creative outlet. And yeah, whether it's through drawing or through music or through sculpturing or, you know, uh, I think that getting that early education in of, of being creative, those skills translate across mediums. You know, I know that like for me, you know, I come from a really musical family and we always, you know, my mom was always trying to get us to sing and play music. And my brother is this kind of prodigy guitar wizard. And so I have spent countless hours talking and conceptualizing and understanding things from the musician's perspective. And when I when I got into videography and making, you know, moving pictures and making visual art in that context, suddenly it was like, Oh, this is like music. Like, Oh, I can understand the flows and things like, you know, dynamics, tension and release. Uh, it, it, it really bled into that, that medium. And, and that's, you know, writing and, and even visual art. you know, I got, I, I, I recently got a, you know, an, an iPad and I got this, this program called procreate that my little cousin taught me about. And, um, just, it's just amazing to me, the more energy that one puts into just being creative. Uh, it's a, it's a universal language that, um, you can come into it through many different doors. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I feel like drawing is kind of like a dialect, of that I'm speaking of this big, beautiful thing called creativity. And I do a lot of reading now, audiobooks while I paint. And I have listened to so many awesome books about creativity. 
And really what I'm finding is that it is endless if we give ourselves permission to be creative and to use our creative minds to create solutions we need for our own personal innovation and the innovation that we're doing with others. And if we don't rely upon our intuition and our skills, like we can't use this creativity. And thank, thankfully, I've taught myself and through you know a formal education, I've gotten good at drawing, but I'm always getting better. And I hope that I'm real good when I'm 80, mm-hmm. but like my middle name is practice because I will be good when I'm 80. And right now, like I'm halfway there and, you know, I'm going to be better tomorrow, hey, but I'm uh, down, to, I'm down to battle. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, man. Dude, let the fight begin. Um, when you, I'm curious when you are doing one of these works and you got an audiobook uh, playing in your ears, when you go, can, when you go back and look at like the mural, can you like look at us does this ever happen to you where you're looking at like a specific corner of your drawing and it like it's like a memory tag of like the chapter you were listening to oh yeah that oh yeah time? <laughs> that's that's funny you bring that up uh, i just did a i mean i just this last year uh the team i work for at google i work i'm on the quantum computing team at uh for google and it, with some dear friends of mine now and they did a had a big white paper release of a really amazing achievement that they they brought the team through and i was able to illustrate the cover for this and it went all the way to nature magazine and so this was probably a 150 hour painting that i made of, of a the first real portrait of a quantum computer painted kind of like a classical master a rembrandt meets quantum right mm. and when i look at that piece I'm like, okay, that's the first Game of Thrones book right there. Okay, and then, then, then that section, though, that's the second Game of Thrones book. Yes. Like, okay, and then there, like, there's that book that I read. There's, there's that Simon Sinek book about, like, culture and, and business. And then, okay, there's that one. There's there's Trillion Dollar Coach right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, to your point, it's really, like, this is the section at which this 10-hour book came out. And this is the section, like, this 50-hour book. So, yeah, absolutely. These these three these three horizontal strokes are Tyrion Lannister <laughs> on his on his binge in in book two, chapter seventeen. <laughs> totally, totally. And you know, I love to listen and paint. I can't. I don't have time to hold a book in front of my face. Right. And I never really was great at reading. But now that I've found audiobooks in the last ten years, I've probably read two hundred books nice. that I never would have picked up. And you know, that's made me a hell of a lot smarter. And, and I try to listen to like a fantastical book and then a book that's going to make my business better. And then a book that'll make me better and more, more compassionate and empathetic as a human. And then another crazy sci-fi book. And then, you know, back to being a better businessman. So it's fun to balance it out and to go through them fast. I mean, I'm hungry for knowledge, but I'm just kind of like time poor when it comes to sitting in front of pages. So this has been a great way to get better as an artist and to get smarter individually. Hell yeah, dude. Um, well, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned this work that you're doing with, with the, uh, with the quantum labs. And I, I feel like you gave me a little understanding of it the other day when we were talking, but can you explain a bit just like about the work right now and how it relates, um, you know, that, that interplay between the scientific and artistic side of it and, and how the two, you know, inform and influence each other? Yeah, yeah. And thanks for asking. That's a great question. And I think it does deserve a little bit of explanation because it is kind of a a weird question of artist at quantum. 
and yeah. the, the quantum laboratory. Like what, what's the connection here? And it does sound super sci-fi, but really um, I have the honor of being the principal artist at Google AI quantum. And I am spinning up an artist in residence program, which I am the first artist of kind of the first of the alumni. And so as principal artist and as the primary alumni, we are building these this scenarios side by side. So for the last two years, the quantum team has been, one, achieving amazing scientific breakthroughs and really establishing new ground with quantum computing. And I applaud them. And I'm, I work with the chief operations manager there. And he and I have become dear friends. And we work together uh, shoulder to shoulder on bringing creativity to the team, bringing beautifying and inspiring the space through mark making and putting art on every quantum computer. So they came to me when uh, two, two plus years ago, I was at an aerospace company and we could talk about that too, which is another interesting, weird job for an illustrator. So I was trying, kind of like trying to find my way out of being the space artist. It's like, cool. I put art on 350 set satellites rocket ships, radio domes, like, but I'm not a rocket scientist. You know, I'm not an aerospace engineer. Like where can draw everywhere, draw next. Mm. And I get this call from Google and uh, my buddy, who's my buddy now, total stranger then he was like, Hey, I hear that you're doing great things at this aerospace company. Can you come do what you're doing there? This mix of making beautiful artwork and also hyping and building creative community, creative conversation. Can you come do that with my fledgling team who, who's going to be, you know, making history with this technology and we want it to be humane and well-rounded, uh, one, well-received to the public, but two, internally, we want it to feel really good and we want it to feel like creativity is our language. And he said, you know, Forrest, you put the first art show in space, you put migratory animals on the sides of spaceships. It's like, you speak nature through technology. It's like, <laughs> cool, true, true. He's like, we as quantum physicists are speaking nature by manipulating electrons. It's like, oh, wow, tell me more. You know, I don't know anything about quantum yeah. computing, yeah. quantum technology. Uh, so tell me more. And so, you know, we got on this wonderful rant about celebrating and speaking nature through manipulation of electrons and through the beautiful themes and subject matters that I love to paint. He and I are both from the country. We both love climbing mountains and rock climbing and being out and adventuring in nature, but also celebrating it through our own personal professional crafts. And so we became instant friends, kind of like you just described, you and I had a, an instant kinship of, of chatting it up and talking about the beauty of creativity and humanity. And so for two years, we've been on this path of beautifying the quantum experience. I have just finished making giant murals in the laboratory, 30 foot tall, 100 feet wide mural that just wrapped up this last month. And then a couple other murals that are huge in my studio. They're 40 feet of murals by eight foot tall, but they are dwarfed in comparison by that previous one I told you. Yeah. And then around every single quantum computer, there will be landscapes of UNESCO sites. And we chose these worldly, gorgeous, important world sites because we want to speak nature, but we want to celebrate nature in its natural and cultural form.
So, you know, in celebrating all of nature means that we can get everyone involved and we're not trying to isolate anyone over anybody else. And yeah, so really what that looks like is the giant murals are really more abstract and really, in my opinion, what nature feels and breathes like, kind of like the visual mycelia that connects us all. And then all the way down to these individual quantum computers, like the one you saw in front of my house. This is four, four foot tall by 36 inch in diameter cylinder with my Schrodinger quantum computer inside of. And I wrap that in a canvas that in this case, the first painting is of Yosemite, right? And I grew up by Yosemite. It's my, one of my favorite places I've lived there. It's dope. And so you're looking at this quantum computer seeing into the vastness of Yosemite Valley and little tuck in spots that I've visited and swam in and you can see up to Tuolumne Meadows and like, it is what I feel speaking nature is. And you know, what an honor it is that I get to practice my love of drawing and painting and mark making with these amazing astronomical thinkers, like epic, epic family, ladies and gentlemen out there that are just doing great work on this team. And so, you know, the point is to inspire them, to be inspired by, to inspire them, to be inspired by. And then the artists in residence program will be bringing artists shoulder to shoulder with these amazing folks and, and continue the creative conversation to inspire innovation and to inspire humanity. And as this technology grows and blossoms, you know, it will already have a footing in like, why is, why is mark making important to humanity? Why is science important? Why is creativity and exploration important? And it makes it so it doesn't feel so alien to people when they see it, you know, a a big shiny box is like, damn, what the hell is that for? And I don't trust it. But when it's, when you have this story and this architecture that you're standing upon and you can share it in a more honest manner, like I feel like it, it can be absorbed and grokked in a way that anyone can dig. You know, it, my grandma loves nature and my kid loves ma- nature and like people around the world resonate with the nature that they come up in. And so that's really why I choose that subject matter over anything else. Dude, that was such a beautiful uh word train that we all just kind of <laughs> on, man. thanks that was really cool just hearing hearing the energy in the, in that and uh you know it, it really touches it's funny just last night I, I took a little sunset hike with my friend and she's a research scientist at cal and she was telling me um you know one of the things she's really passionate about right now is trying to uh trying to break through the like intention factor that so many students and teachers feel about STEM. It, like, mm. I know I had it, you know, when I was in high school and stuff, just the way that like people would even talk to me like, Oh, like chemistry, that's really hard, you know? And it would like make me feel like, Oh, well maybe I can't even do that. You know, maybe my, like maybe that's too hard for me to, to understand. And, and yet in my adult life, you know, I'm listening as I'm sure you are to these podcasts with quantum physicists or, you know, very high level concepts. And and it's totally exciting me and getting me super fired up. And, and, and even, even with like chemistry, that stuff is fascinating, but just this idea of, 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 of almost like using, you know, our creative minds, our love of aesthetic and our artistic skills to, to be able to make, uh, these higher order 
you know, disciplines more accessible and more inclusive, you know, cause mm. mankind can only benefit from more people being included in these, you know, these musings and discussions and, uh, you know, in the work that's being done. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I really resonate with that as well. I feel like when I was in school, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have this accessibility to go stare at a screen and go down any rabbit hole available. You know, it was high school before we got the internet where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I always was relying on one teacher a year to teach us everything. And that one teacher a year, you know, wasn't getting paid very much. My partner's a teacher now. Like I understand the the backbone of teaching now, <laughs> the bureaucracy, the inside. Right. And, you know, I was relying on that one teacher and, you know, we weren't nice. We were all being sarcastic little jerks, I'm sure. And like, Everyone's trying to get away with everything, you know, and I'm a kind person and I know I was a dick, yeah. you know, unfortunately. So, you know, the, the one teacher's tired and we're expecting them to we're the now, you know, all parents are t expecting the teachers to teach everything and be good role models and, you know, be good counselors and be good life coaches and be good religious spirits, like all the things that the teachers are needed to be where now kids can just listen to a podcast and listen to a different professional, like you said, a quantum physicist, or even someone who just is a nice human. Right. You know, how cool is it that when my kid's old enough to really uh, understand how to navigate and we'll teach her how to navigate intelligently through the computer verse, the internet verse, uh, you know, we'll be like, cool, you can listen to 2000 inspiring talks today, where <laughs> in my small town, it was like, you'd have to look at the like arts council calendar and like next February, there's going to be a speaker. You're like, okay, cool. I'll wait till then to like, here's some outside inspiration. Hopefully he's not a crusty old guy, you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and even if he is a crusty old guy, you're like, okay, here, get it. Crusty old guy, <laughs> right, get right. it. Crusty old lady. Like right. tell it how it is. Right. Uh, and I hope it's not going to be too long before I get that opportunity to listen to an old older crusty old person that's speaking something different totally. you know so how cool is it that we've like opened up and cracked the pandora's box and how unfortunate is it that media companies are weaponizing it yeah. and almost narrowing it so much to where like the exposure of what you think you're getting is so pinpointed and so like red hot on fire on drama on some bs that right. It's like it's hard for people, I think, to use the Internet, even why it was designed for what it was designed for. And to your point, like that's why we are creatives. That's why we're storytellers, to bring out the individual unique stories and bring them up to where maybe a few other people can rub upon them and, and find the, that beautiful inspiration from them. That's you know, that's really why I love what you're doing, man. Thank you for doing this. Hey, it's, it's, it's all it's, it's just it's a it, you know it's love. <laughs> true, true. And, and, and really, you know, it's, it's been a great practice. I studied, I studied communication and, you know, that's what I got my degree in and I had no, I, you know, they said it would apply to, to, to everything and it has, but you know, I've never been asked about it in a job interview, but I was always gravitating towards the more like interpersonal side of my classes and just like human interaction. Like, what does this look like? How can I be a more, uh, you know, eff effective communicator with those people in my life and the people that I encounter. And, and a lot of it is about like, how do I feel safe? How mm. do I create a context of safety with, with, uh, um, the mystery of, of another mind. And cause I know when I do feel safe, I can really 
achieve some some great levels of connection um and so this podcast has been this like amazing opportunity to really it's it's like a gym you know i, I i'm coming and and putting on the gloves or putting on you know the lifting the weight and uh and 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 like every communication professor or great communicator will tell you like so much of it is just about shutting up and listening you know mm. like asking a question and then slowly back in backing away a little bit and just seeing uh what you can what you can kind of squeeze out of people or 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 just stimulate and so um it's it's been so beautiful having you know i think of a podcast is almost like this uh creativity mulch pile uh, it's a place that i can come and kind of uh, organize thoughts and build like these like thought arcs you know just like i don't know if you've ever noticed when you go to a party um it a lot of the like five minute conversations that you have with people are like these like preloaded like spiels that are like representing where they're at in their life at this moment. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. Every like couple months, those spiels change. I know like mm. I noticed that I do it. It's like, here's like the, the five points, you know, like I'm from West Marin County and you know, Fairfax festival was, I was like the big reunion every year. And you know, throughout my twenties, when I went away to college, like that was, you come back to Fairfax festival and, it, and it's just like this day where uh, you can't really move 10 feet without seeing someone else. And then you, you, I noticed I kept giving my five minute spiel about like, this is what Hobie is at this point, you know, here's mm. where I am. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is how I feel about things, you know, and we're all trading these like kind of preloaded tokens of representation. And so I think with the podcasting, it, it really, allows at least for me to explore that in a more long form way and introduce ideas to my guests, but also, you know, talk about them in a way of like really hashing it out for myself. Like, what do I really believe about this idea and how does it relate to my own life? Yeah. And there's a beauty to that. Having, having your pitch down, having like knowing what you're about, there's a beauty to that. And it's funny, you know, being from a small town, you know, for us, it was always the day after Thanksgiving at like the local bar after we were 21. Like that was the joint, like everyone's home for Thanksgiving. Everyone's home, like has recently left for college or wherever else they moved. And like the day after Thanksgiving was the day that everyone would be out at the, at the specific bar called the Sonora Inn in my town. Yeah. And I remember going there year after year and feeling that same vibe, like, oh shit, I'm going to have to say the same story so many times. And I'm really not really relating to much, many of these people, except through smiles and like trying to remember who they even were. And, you know, recently I had a 20 year uh, class reunion and it was the same thing. Yeah. It's like, wow. All right. All right. And really, I just kind of turned off my own story and just started asking questions. Like it does it. You don't care about me. It doesn't matter about me. Tell <laughs> me about you. Tell me about what you're inspired by and like what you've created lately and like what you're passionate about. And I love that question because it stumps people almost like, what are you passionate about? I don't care about where you live or like what the weather's like. Like, what are you passionate about? Yeah. And it breaks the five minute pitch into a like, damn, I want to I want to save the ocean or like I love collecting beanie babies or like whatever the hell it is. It's yeah. a lot more interesting. Where have all the beanie babies gone? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, man. I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, okay. I'm, I want to take a complete left turn and throw, sure, sure. throw a new question at you just to, yeah. just to hit refresh for our brains. Okay. 
What is your favorite dime store pen? Oh man, dime store pen. Uh, this the blue bic, the blue classic midtone phthalo blue, uh, medium medium size ball that okay. you get the like the clear one that looks all crystally. Yeah, yeah, they get everyone chews on the end of. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's the blue um, complete like opaque one. The okay. one, the one that's clear. Oh, you can't really chew on it. It's a little it's bit like harder. Pentagonal or whatever. <laughs> pentagonal uh it is probably hexagonal or hexagonal yeah in the sense it probably has six six exactly. sides yeah. but i mean it, it, it could be pin no pentagonal. You're, you're right i think it is i think it, it is like a it is hexagonal that's six I mean, yeah like the pencil. yeah 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 i mean the the classic blue one that the uh paper mate one i i do love too but like that classic bic mm. yo that's like that's my jam i wish i was sponsored by bic Sponsored by Bic, dude. That's a great, that's a great goal. <laughs> yeah, sponsored Bic, by Bic. Sponsor this man. <laughs> sponsored by Sharpie and maybe you know Tombow. Okay. And I I love those. Uh, I love the Uniballs. Oh yeah, those are fresh. The Uniball. Uh, I recently realized the 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 one. What is it? One millimeter. Yeah. Versus oh damn. Point seven. I like the thicker oh, yeah. line, even though there's a lot of bleed, but. Just like that, that action, it glides so smoothly, you know, mm. those in the yeah. G fives or G sevens or those are. Yeah. Cool. I mean, the, the thing about uniballs is you don't get any intermediate, uh, line control with it. Yeah. Really? It's like you, you have a mono thickness line. And if, if you're rocking mono thickness, that really determines that what you're drawing in my case, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, if I'm drawing with a Sharpie or a mono thick this line i'm going to draw some hella graphic stuff like right. i'm not i'm not going to draw it i'm just going to go for it mm -hmm. where if i'm drawing with a ballpoint pen i can do some shading and some hatching yeah. and make more organic lines and it's almost like if you were to look at it, my line style with a big pin you could look at it with a magnifying glass and like see the variations on a minute level mm -hmm. where uniball or sharpie is like damn this is this is graphic and it's one thickness and he's saying one thing Cool. So, yeah, yeah. good, sure. good question, man. How about you? What's your favorite pin? Is it that Uniball? I think it's, I, I bought a pack. I was writing with it earlier. I think it's the Uniball one millimeter probably. Yeah. I, I like the boldness of it and, and just the flow. I think for, you know, to touch on what you were saying earlier about handwriting, you know, a, a few years ago, my brother really got into calligraphy and he's, mm. I've, I've always been like a jack of all trades type, you know, dip my toe in many ponds. Whereas my brother is like the deep diver who will like read a karate book and learn the basic moves in one night and like obsess and obsess and obsess. So he just, he got into calligraphy and, uh, I bought him this for Christmas, like a calligraphy set, an illuminated lettering set actually. Had, like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Stuff. And so he really got into it and, um, and through like kind of a brotherly osmosis, you know, we started, well, we started doing these uh, birthday scrolls for our friends. It was like part of this tradition from, uh, from, from some family friends. They used to give numbers on people's birthday. That was like, you know, whatever your age was, you got a special number that was de decorated with art. And so we continued that on. We did these birthday scrolls um, where, you know, I'm a, I like writing and I like to write poetry. And so, I would write like some sort of humorous uh, Shakespearean sonnet in like the classic sonnet form. And, uh, and then my brother would like make this epic scroll with like the calligraphy and the illuminated lettering and 
like beautiful just ornamentation and then at the party uh we would present it and i would read it in some sort of like terrible attempt at a british accent and uh and so it was like this performance art you know that they got to have this nice thick set paper uh you know poem about them you know and i would always try to integrate you know imagery about specifically to the person and um but through that process you know there was a couple parties that my brother just couldn't make it to or couldn't be bothered to write the poem the time we were on a time crunch or something maybe i didn't get the the poem done in time and uh so there was a couple times when I would have to do it myself. And so it really just the the practice showed me like how beautiful I can make letters if I try to write it like 25% speed mm. rather than scribbling real quick. Like if I actually was to take my time and suddenly I found like, oh, I do kind of have like my own natural font that I like to write in when I'm, when I'm trying to t- make it pretty and take yeah. it slow. And, uh, and so for that, you know, to, to get back to your question, I found that like these, these, uh, you know, bold kind of thick set, even, um, pens like a uniball, uh, were really just, it felt really good on my wrist. I'm someone that if I do use one of those Bics, I'm often going to go back over my line a couple times until I get it really nice and thick and and sometimes that can make my wrist really tired if i have to redraw the same thing like 10 times Mm. um but but i grew up on those bics you know i feel you on that for sure and and definitely what you said about the versatility of of being able to do things like shading and hashing and um I, i can totally see you know where that 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 uh extra degree of control could be a big benefit Oh yeah, 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 and you don't chew on the end when it's a harder pin. You don't have like that tendency to to have the mouth joy. Um, I have to say that I have a Muji pin. That's one of those like when you're a kid and you have six different colors. Like I'll oh, even yeah. click it right now. I've, I've got it in my hand. Like click, click, yeah. click. You can click through the the colors, yeah. and it has this light blue Illustrator blue color that you draw in, and then you can draw over it. Mm. And man, that's what's up. That's the <laughs> that's my pin. Nice. Like. So I, I'll buy those on eBay okay. and they're like, you know, six or seven bucks a piece. And yeah. when they come, I'm like, rad. And then I'll use, use them to death and then like try to, try to remember to go get more. That's tight. You're the first person I've ever heard say they actually use those. Oh dude, it's all, uh, I'm on it, especially cause I take copious notes mm-hmm. so I can go through notes and almost do p- bullet points in informational writing down in different, different colors. You know, so it really helps. And, you know, don't have, underestimate the power of a good pencil, too. Right. You know, when you're when you're drawing and you can just like get really flowy and soft with the pencil and like let the pencil do what it does best, and, like stand on top of the page and smudge and get all weird and thick and then sharp again. Like that's versatility in it. In a, yeah. No, the simplest of sure. tools. There's there's that there's that great story. uh the aerospace story um, about the um, the team, you know, the, the when when the astronauts were going up into space, apparently the uh, the U.S. government spent like millions and millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, developing like a zero G pen. Yeah, and the Soviets just used pencils <laughs> all day. And I just thought that was like that's such a great like representation of like sometimes you know where where you can have all these geniuses in a room and they're kind of missing the obvious uh 
you know, the obvious solution or whatever, the simple, simple solution. <laughs> yeah. It's like a pencil is one step away from like a burnt stick on a yeah. rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, good, it, good question, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, dude. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk art and space. Cause I really, sure. I, I think I want to call this just for, for clickbaity purposes, you know, I want to call this episode the largest or the, the first art show in space, which I think unless I'm getting it wrong, that's what you have the, the, um, the honor of, of claiming. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like the first and biggest art show in space is, is kind of what we called it for the same reason of just kind of a funny outlandish outstanding thing to call this project. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But let's, yeah. Tell me about that. You are a space artist and you hold the, you have the prestige of having done the the first and largest art show in space, man. How cool is that just to get to say? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And it's fun to be an all in hundred percent prescriber of drawing and practice. And then having found my way into this opportunity to create art and space from, from one to many spaceships and for it to all happen really for the same uh, honest reason, you know, wasn't necessarily for advertising and it wasn't necessarily a one-time thing. So, uh, let's see, where do we start? Where do we start? Uh, around 2012, I was in front of my house having a yard sale and two life-changing things happened to me in one kind of one week, one episode mm-hmm. where I was having this yard sale and I lived about three blocks from here over on the other side of Adeline. And this dude walks up and he goes, yo, who drew the yard sale signs for your yard sale? And I had drawn these wild, like choose your own adventure, a whole bunch of monsters and characters and graffiti faces and wild style script letters, like yard sale this way, all the way from Bart. Right. So this dude, <laughs> Levi Felix shows up and he's like, I don't want to buy anything, but I'm about to have this camp and called camp grounded. And I need someone to help me with posters. It's like, you're the person that I want to help. It's like, really? Tell me more. Everyone wants free artwork. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. And so he tells me all about it and he goes, cool. Uh, come to the office. And he's super charismatic, like magnetically, beautifully charismatic talks me into showing up and doing posters for this camp. And I was like, I right, cool. So I do a little research on him. Same week I get a call like, hey, Forrest, you want to come to a venture capitalist camp out and be the visual artist and meet all these weird, random, awesome Ford, like forward facing technologists that are changing the world with their technology? You know, we've all heard that story in the Silicon Valley. It's like, sure. You're going to feed me? Yeah. Sure. You know, am I going to be able to draw? Sure. Am I going to meet cool people? Yeah. Is it going to be is, is it going to be comfortable? Yeah. Cool. I'll show up. I love camping. So same same time. I go to these two different campouts, and at one of them, I meet randomly second day, third day, one of the mornings, I meet a guy who's talking about the future of space with small satellites. And I'm sitting there, you know, picture this, me with my sketchbook, what do you know, sitting underneath the redwood trees, like the sun's beaming through, we're sitting by this pond, and I'm just like chilling there, listening to this dude rabidly and romantically talk about the future of space. And I've told this story a lot of times before, so it kind of falls off my tongue. But 
uh, you know, my, this guy, Robbie, I didn't know him from anybody. And the whole time I'm hearing him, I'm thinking, I love some sci-fi. You know, I've read some good sci-fi books. I don't know anything about spaceships. I don't know anything really about aerospace or any of the science. But I tell you what, I wonder if there's ever been a graffiti writer that's ever drawn on a spaceship, right? And so that's what I'm envisioning while listening to him really go forth and talk about the future of space and these tiny satellites, 10 by 10 by 30 centimeter little CubeSats. So after the talk, people ask some really nice questions and I, I make my way over and I go, yo, Robbie, do you know the World War II bombers with the pinup girls painted on them? Because that was the only thing that I knew he would know. Yeah. I didn't know this dude. He's a total stranger. Yeah. And he, this dude's like, I've said this story before, but I'll say it again. Like Robbie's an intense man. He's, you know, handsome and he's got big shoulders and deep set eyes and he's intense. And I go, do you know these World War II bombers with the pinup girls? And he goes, yeah. I go, Robbie, uh, let's paint on your satellites. And instead of him saying no, he goes, yes, yes. But instead of pinup girls, let's do something humanitarian. And all of a sudden, like his gears are turning. You can just see him thinking. He goes, my team's going to love this. This is perfect. And he goes, all right, all right. He goes, but, and instead of saying, you know, Instead of saying yes, he goes, but, and I'm thinking in my mind, cool, it's not going to match the couch, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, this is a, I shouldn't have just said yes to this, or my CEO is not going to say that this is a great idea. He goes, I've been wanting to bring in some sort of creativity or have a fellowship or something. Mm -hmm. Can you help me with that? And he didn't know me. He'd never seen my art. He never, like, we'd never even looked at each other before. And I go, dude, I will, we can figure this out together. I'll be your first artist. Like, let's figure this out. We shook hands under the redwood trees and Thus, uh, art show had begun uh, philosophically and conceptually. So I show up with a giant canvas September 1st after the summer. People had just come back from Burning Man. And I didn't know anything about where I was, right? Mm -hmm. And I have this giant canvas. And I'm like, if I can't like really stagger them with my intelligence, I'm at least going to baffle them with bullshit. You know, like at least smack them in the face with like, how graphic and how abrasive my art can be. Mm. And so I show up with this big canvas and the first conversations that I'm overhearing is like, why did we get an artist? We need engineers. Mm. And I was like, oh man, like maybe I'm in the wrong place. And so, you know, next thing's next. I'm, I'm giving a colloquium in front of everybody. I don't think I'm in the right spot. And the pitch is, hey team, we're about ready to make dozens of satellites. You guys have two satellites in space. We're going to make dozens I'm here to put art on every single one of them. So we're about ready to make the first art show in space. My background is making dope art shows and do graphic work. Like I'm here to help you. What are we, what's the theme and subject matter we're going to put on spaceships and to, to represent humanity. And as that statement is coming out of my face, I'm realizing how heavy it is and how like weighted it is historically for me to say that. And I'm kind of like shaking in my boots because I was like, dang, I just told an aerospace firm that I was going to make a, the first art show for them. Like, damn, this is real deal. I'm not just trying to like hack my way in where I don't belong. Like this is, this is real. Yeah. And so, uh, we come up with the idea of, you know, maybe we should do something that resonates with everyone in the world. Awesome. Great. You know, maybe we should do something graphic that could be represented, uh, across the company. I was like, well, who wants to draw with me? And it was crickets. You know, so I was like, all right, I guess I got this. I can do this myself. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's like, all right, I draw animals really well. And I know there's my, there's animals everywhere in the world. And so therefore people have lived with and subsisted, uh, sustained it on themselves on animals and have beautiful, you know, philosophical relationships and spiritual relationships with animals all around the world. So let's do animals because there's animals everywhere. And people are like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. My grandma likes animals. My kid likes animals, da, 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 da. And so it's like, well, how about one step deeper? How about we do migratory animals? Because the story that Robbie had told me up front about this small spaceship company and going to asteroids and settling, settling, like going to the moon and then going off to other planets, I was like, we're going to need to be respectful and responsible when we do this. And so I was like, all right, the first art show in space is going to be about migratory animals to, to, that are watching us from space, hopefully watching us do you know, beautiful, respectful, responsible actions as we try to push forth and step off of this planet into the great unknown. You know, really like putting cave paintings on cave walls, explaining the human story at the time. Like I felt like that kind of moment, like, wow, all right, we're, we're breaking creative ground here. And so I can be the voice. And so what I thought was going to be a few spaceships ended up being three big, beautiful black and white paintings of migratory animals amalgamated from around the world in a beautiful stacked manner, like kind of animal camouflage. And so that took a few months and a few, is, is uh, this, sorry to interrupt you, but oh, yeah. is this, uh, are, is this the image that was in the, the Ted talk you did that, that, uh, that big black and white of all yeah. the animals? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first of the series. And, you know, I, I do graphic illustration best uh, of the work that I do. It's fast. It comes out of me pretty naturally. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we launched the first flock of satellites and I had my buddy, I mean, it's a, a wild episode. If you want to know the episode, like listen to the Ted talk about the mm -hmm. adventures to figure out how to get artwork to stick to a satellite. Damn, that yeah. was a fun adventure. But then, you know, we launched one flock and it was a success. And then we launched another flock of satellites. These satellites are called doves. So that's why I'm calling them flocks. Mm. And we launched another flock with another painting on it, and that was a success. And then a third and maybe fourth flock with these different paintings, migratory animals looking back at Earth. And as the company started to succeed, you know, I'm working with my dear, dear friend, Ando Pendelian in Los Angeles, and we're laser etching these spaceships mm. and, you know, working it out, trying to figure out, damn, we've never put art in space before. Let's try it with a laser etcher. Like, instead of adding paint, let's take away paint. And what a fun adventure that was, a fun set of variables. What, and what then, was the, uh, sorry, two questions. No worries, no worries. The, uh, one, what was the purpose of the satellites that were launching? Yeah, yeah, um, good question. And, and two, <laughs> you can, you know, whatever order you want, but I also wanted to, maybe you could expand a bit on what that process was for you. You know, did you have to learn a new skill for laser etching? Was it similar to... Uh, to stuff you'd done in the past or was that like a whole new thing you had to study up on? Mm. Well, to the first point, well, let's talk about the second first because we're okay. talking about art sure. and the, the workflow was how do I get a bold, beautifully drawn graphic painting onto the side of a, of a spaceship that the side is only seven or eight centimeters tall by 30 centimeters wide. And I had done big three by four or four by six foot paintings. And so I needed to somehow graphically through the magic of Photoshop, 
you know, get them to a substrate that could be the right size, whether that was a sticker or silk screened or something. So I'm familiar with, you know, the process of surface design and putting surf and putting designs on different applications, right? T-shirts, posters, billboards, commercials, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm used to that. I speak that language of transferring the original drawing to another substrate. Uh, and, and in this case, there's the factor of a spaceships going around the earth extremely fast in crazy weather, fluctuating heat, uh, solar radiation. It's like, okay, cool. All the traditional media won't work. And I grew up and my mom was a glass engraver. So my mind immediately came to engraving in the first spaceship that I ever did. I actually hand engraved in my own studio with the engraver that my mom had given me. Cool. Right. So it was all about like, how can I take away, how can I carve out and create a relief you know, and, and carving surface is nothing new. People have been carving into surfaces since people have been etching pictographs into rocks. Mm -hmm. You know, the beautiful forms in Egypt were carved out of the stone. You know, sculptors, Michelangelo and every other sculptor is always taking substrate away to make a mark. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't inventing anything uh, by using that application. But I did go through my dear friend Ondo to laser etch. Because I knew that together we could use his tools to figure out how to get my painting onto these spaceships in a graphic manner. Mm -hmm. And it really, it was a facsimile. It was a direct, uh, a direct copy, smaller in scale, on the sides of the spaceships. And it worked so good nice. that for four years, four and a half years, we were putting art on every single spaceship that we would make. So yeah, it was a stretch for me to figure it out, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a hundred percent alien to where it was. I had to invent anything new. I just really had to connect the dots. I really had to be a scientist about it and like use use the technologies that already existed in my pantheon and my quiver to really pull out and like hit the target correctly. And to your second point, yeah. what does what does Planet Labs do? Well, at first when I joined Planet, they had two spaceships in the sky. So they the whole point was to take pictures of the whole Earth every day to use space to help life on earth and to help settle space in the future. And so that's the company that I was coming into like, wow, what a sci-fi business pitch that is. Oh, yeah. And so as they started to make satellites, the satellites ultimately are cameras that take pictures of the earth at three to five meter resolution. And when you're flying around earth at ultimately the same elevation as the international space station, and you have a camera that can take pictures on these 52 degree orbits or uh, solar, um, what do you call it, polar orbits, then you can take pictures of the whole Earth every day if you have enough cameras in the sky. And they chose a three to five meter resolution so they could take pictures of the whole Earth but not really see individual humans and human behavior. Mm -hmm. They really wanted to see large organic matter changing over time. And you're really creating that fourth dimension of temporal resolution of what's happening on the earth. So you can see cause effect of something that happens in January. Like you can see the, the physical, like let's say that a swath of the Oakland Hills was burned in, in July. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you can look, watch that same spot every single day. And you would see if it, when it rained, you'd see the mud go down the hill and who it affected. And you'd see where the ash was going down, ultimately down the creeks and which rivers it was affecting the pollution. And, you know, in, in this case, all of a sudden the, the creeks are all polluted. 
you wouldn't know where that pollution was coming from. But if you looked at temporally, you'd be like, oh, of course, there was a fire up this valley four months ago, and this is the first strain, and all of a sudden, all the frogs are dead. Like, oh, that's why. Or, you know, there's a there's a big polluting steam stack in the Central Valley, and there's the jet stream is always pushing to the same part of the mountains by Tahoe or something, and those trees are constantly dying, like right there. Like, why are those trees dying? Well, you can see that half the damn year that polluting smokestack is polluting those trees, you know. And there's a there's tons tens of thousands of applications to see the earth through this kind of story that you're creating through time the yeah, animations it strikes me as being like you know when in a good sci-fi story you know at least for me like being so interested in the future that's one of the things i love about science fiction it's always like there's this substrate of of fundamental technologies that are what like give the future its feel but you need mm. to have the infrastructure in place. So it strikes me what you're describing is like this platform that really is like a fundamental technology that will allow us to have just like a better understanding of, of the day to day, month to month, year to year change of our, of our planet. But, but a platform that really could be a fundamental part of, of life with space included. Totally. On this planet. Totally. And that's really the vision they it, it, sci-fi and reality you know this team uh is amazing at they were envisioning that as not just a tool for a story but a tool for reality of like if we can see what's happening on earth we can actually make change we can uh, apply other technologies to help change in a positive manner where we didn't understand the cause and effect before, before this temporal resolution. And it really has been a part of this beautiful space renaissance. And so, yeah, you know, four and a half years later, it wasn't just me making artwork. I spun up an artist in residence as the first artist. So after four and a half years, I had 15 artists come through. And as the company grew, I was employee number 25. Mm -hmm. And as the company grew to about 500 people, the th the theme itself really changed from you know, it being a sexy hardware spaceship company to a, a big, a big data company where there was a ton terabytes of data every day. We were taking pictures of the whole earth every day. And it really became about like, okay, cool. Now, how can we see the patterns happening in the earth to, to help with positive change? And what was cool about that, and from my perspective, is I kept bringing in artists that wanted to work within the common conversation. And I feel that that was the most valuable to do because every artist would be part of what was happening in the moment in the company where at first it was all about, let's make the satellites more beautiful with my paintings, right? It was the right place at the right time for my skills. Mm -hmm. And then it became about the artists manipulating a little bit, the photographs that were coming from space of the earth, you know, awesome systems, but still pretty, pretty interesting and using the, the technology to make um, art forms and art pieces. And then at the end, you know, it was really about how do we how do we celebrate the technologists and celebrate the the photos in their in the mass? You know, it became about different types of artists wanting to say different things. And that was cool. It really benefited the team. And, you know, ultimately, I realized early on working with this amazing group of folks that I was not the most creative person in the room. It really, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and I say that in a in a beautiful, humbling sense to where, you know, when you show up and you're kind of like, 
the the rock star of your craft and everyone's like damn you're you're bringing the you're bringing the hits mm -hmm. you know everything you do is on point well when i came when i was working in planet labs i'd look around the room and every single person in that room was like making the hits in their little niche their field and it was up to me to continue to visually inspire them and if, i was constantly making my own work and beautifying the space and making more artwork that was going on rocket ships and big murals around the different offices that we were accumulating and the teams that we were building and working with different parts of the team to to beautify and to make you know t-shirts and collateral and da, da 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 but it was really about like how can i help these amazing folks that are just as creative as me they just are creating for different problems solving for different things like some people were putting spaceships in space and like needing to talk to them and creating the algorithms to communicate with them while they're going 17,000 kilometers a second. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you get a spaceship to take pictures and send it back to earth and actually talk to it? How do you actually get it in the right trajectory at the right speed to make the right passes to actually know where the hell it is in space? Like how do you make a market out of photos and get those photos back down? So they're actually distributable and you can make a, an ecosystem to sell them. Like, how do you advertise that? How do you write laws and how do you help dictate the philosophy of new laws in order to make this a thing to help people and not have it be like stuck under these weird old school, like ITAR and EAR regulations, you know? So I was watching all around me, people being damn creative problem solvers, and it gave me so much more love and insight into what scientists do, you know, what entrepreneurs are doing. We're really just all iterating on patterns and systems and trying to say something beautiful and say something meaningful and get other people involved. You know, this team, thankfully, was on a very uh, beautiful, mission-driven, positive, helpful approach. And I really got could get behind that. And even when I didn't understand the science, I'd look around the room and be like, wow, these ladies and gentlemen are really good people. There's not asshole jerks among us. Like this is just a really good group. And that inspired me to want to always work with, you know, big time thinkers, highly, highly motivated folks, people who aren't bitching and moaning. People are just like leaning into the challenge and showing up in their best selves and, you know, using their creative muscles to solve problems. I, I was probably the best artist in the room. And I was showing up and my, I had to show up with my A game every single day mm -hmm. because I never knew like, cool, am I going to be out? Am I going to be out arted by the smart people? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily like I felt, uh, what's that, um, that, that funny statement of where you don't feel like you're kind of have your kind of imposter syndrome. Like I didn't really feel imposter syndrome, but I always felt like, damn, I got to show and prove just like everybody else on this team. Cause we're all trying to make the goal here. We're all bringing our best a game. Yeah. And like, how cool is it when I was doing a giant painting next to the door where inside that door we were building spaceships and they would ask me like, Forrest, come in. Like we're about ready to send these spaceships off to go up in this rocket and we have time to draw on them. Like let's tattoo them. And they would give me the space Sharpie. Like talk about another cool device. Yeah. They'd give me the space Sharpie and I'd go in and draw on it. Each individual spaceship I'd like give their individual Sailor Jerry tattoos. Okay. Right. And like beautiful little messages and, yeah. People who weren't artistic would be like, can you write a message to my wife or to my daughter or to my mom or to my grandma on this one? And be like, hell yeah, I'll write it in my best handwriting. Yeah. You know, so it became this, this awesome ethos that we were creating. We were a creative company because we believed in 
creativity in all of its forms. And so that's really wonderful to have been part of that. And the folks over at Google tapped into that and brought me over to their team. And, you know, I'm stoked that I have the opportunity as a creative, as the uh, principal artist of my studio, that I can jump from project to project and get on board with these different teams and really show up with that spirit and vibe of like, let's bring out the best in the whole team and the most diverse aspects in the, in the whole team. Let's celebrate each other and include everybody in using art as, as kind of the tool and the heartbeat of that. And, you know, there's no book for this. It's really been like half, half inspiration, half feeling like, oh, wow, I can see into the future, the Oracle of Delphi. And really half is like dragged by horses. Like I feel like I've fallen and am tumbling down a mountain a lot when I bring art to technologists because I just don't know how to approach it. And really, it's like you just show up with integrity and show up with your best work and show up with a, a plan of how you can succeed if, all, if everything fails. And you're going to be part, you're going to, it's going to work. It's really yeah, like you, helping my kid be that, six. Right. Do you, do you find that like, uh, you know, being a, a, a lay person, you know, you, you hear when I try to think of Google, it's such a vast, uh, entity at this point. Um, yeah. and it really does, you know, my understanding, it does seem like a very, you know, modular, institution where you have these like almost separate ecosystems in a way and i'm curious like the 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 art uh i forget what you called it the artist uh it's you know your own your own creation there the um the artist in residence program residence in residency um yeah like how much how much leeway were you given in developing the culture how much was the company culture uh, influencing, you know, this, this program and what, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they wanted you to, to wanted it to be a creative expression of your own. Um, and, and just what was that process like in, in, in creating that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I see, you know, you're diving into an interesting thought there. Um, the, it's never really a clear, like, here's the brief and here's exactly what you're going to do because the magic I feel is in that the oscillation of this is the expectation and this is the magic of what creativity can inspire next. So it's always a dance of the unknown and the totally certain where at planet labs, you know, like I said, I came in at employee number 25, we were a small company and I really knew nothing about the nuts and bolts of being an aerospace engineer or the point but I brought my best A game and I used my artwork to help inspire conversation and connection and inspiration. And I helped the conversation. I was ultimately a creative facilitator at times when I wasn't inspiring with my own work. And that's the magic that an artist in residence really needs. It needs to have the connection between the person making good artwork you know, but you could always just hire an artist to come like make a piece of artwork and beautify a space or beautify a, a widget. Mm -hmm. But but to me, the artist in residence program was what happens when you instill that creative maker spirit with the rest of the team. You really make everyone want to be the creative maker in their own manner. Right. And the most beautiful things would happen. I would teach someone about or someone would be watching me paint. Right. And I would totally make a mistake. 
And they're like, ooh, damn, you just screwed <laughs> that one up. Yeah. And I would really have to be like, oh, you saw that? Sorry. Well, watch this. And I would take that, you know, that splatter, that mess up and totally push it out of balance. And then over the next couple hours, I'd bring it back. And because it went out of balance, it actually now was saying something interesting. Mm. And it was so out of balance that the the juxtaposition in the chiaroscuro of the moment was so beautiful that all of a sudden it was expressive rather than formulaic. And those people would bring me back to their Python code that they were writing on their screen and be like, look at what I did because I saw you mess up. Like I just messed up, but you actually let me see into this and see a different beauty in it. And, you know, philosophically, I couldn't see into the beauty of what they were writing. I had to believe what they were saying because I don't speak Python. I don't speak snake language. It's like that Um, scene from the matrix, you know, when they're looking at the code drop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. And what a cool font that is. Mm -hmm. And how cool are those dark colors with those little like pink and green letters. That's great. But, um, I believed that they were inspired by watching a a mistake be fixed in a more interesting manner. Mm -hmm. And so, Google's the same way. You know, Google is a fiefdom. All these big tech companies are kind of like the, the fiefdoms that are vying for our attention and our money online, mm-hmm. you know, and Google's so damn big that I don't have a connection with everyone at Google, just like I don't have a connection with everyone in America. Yeah. But, you know, I'm an American in my own little sub bubble in my basement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see across to your house right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, like we're Americans, but we can't speak for all Americans. And I'm a Googler, but I can't speak for all of Google. So when I come in to make these programs, it's really a circumstantial place where they're like, Forrest, show up with your A game and make really good world-class artwork, but also inspire the team and figure that out. Figure out how to facilitate experiences that will bring the team together as a, as humans, that will inspire the diversity, that will get the wallflowers off the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't just stand there, bust a move. Like our what boy is- Young... Young your, I'm curious, what is like, what does your day to day look like? Like what's an average day in the life of forest when you're in the quantum lab? Mm, yeah. Well, the quantum lab is I, I tap in with my collaborator, uh, once every two weeks okay. and we go through the brief, we go through the, the points of the schedule of like, cool, here's, here's all of the intentions that we're really trying to, to meet right now. Here's the Epic projects and the touch points. And I really try to see it. If you're familiar with scrum, scrum, the scrum workflow. Yeah. yeah, That's like, that's like the board with the squares that where you have like different, uh, it's like a process and you have the different like levels in the production. Yeah. And you know, scrum is usually a team based thing and you can use squares, you know, it's, uh, the squares are just kind of uh, tools, but the, the apparatus is about like, okay, two week sprints and, have know what you need to do, know what you want to do, know what you're capable of, and in two weeks, write down, write down those things, and then meet those observations with uh, great actions, you know, and get out of your own way. And so every two weeks we meet, and I tell my collaborator, dear friend, now I'm like, okay, here's where we are. What what can I do for you next? Here's what I want to do next. Here's what will inspire the team that I've, that I may have researched or I may have listened to a talk or I may have like gotten educated in another field and be like, okay, cool. I'm going to bring this. And then you can share this with the team in a specific way. Or 
cool. The, the mural is about done in my studio. Uh, next week I'm going to deliver it and put it on the walls. And while I'm there, we'll, we'll, you know, put up the, the projector and figure out where we're going to put the next mural. So it's a lot of just creating uh, goals and workflow and then creating stuff in my studio and always be thinking about the next thing. Um, that's really the, the hat called principal artist, you know, really like halfway between art director and being the, the, uh, solo artist itself. Mm -hmm. And then the art direction hat, I mean, the artist in residence director hat was really, while I was tapped in really to the heartbeat of the company, I was helping the other artists tap into the teams that they were inspired by possibly, or listening to the team and hearing, cool, we're having a a creative glut in, you know, this part of the technology, we could really use an insertion of, of abstractness and wildness. And so I'd say, all right, let's all go out for tacos. You know, the, the radio team and the artists, I can hear that there's some, some common conversation, some inspiration that's going to happen. Like I would, you know, not force them, but I would catalyze a meeting, uh, and facilitate conversation between them, spin up, a connection of ideas and then it would like kind of light that fire and then let them hash it out. And every day I would connect with the artist and be like, cool, where are you at? who do you meet now? Like, what are you working on? And I got no problem like pumping somebody up and getting them going. Yeah. So I would be on the check-in and then they would be doing this wonderful piece of art that I didn't need to be part of the conversations because I could see that it was valuable and uh, like the beautifully artistic with just on its own speed. And that fire was hot. I just needed to continue to put logs on it really. Right. Yeah. Just like working. I know when you, you know, getting back for a second to, yeah. to the planet labs, when you were working there, you mentioned that people were doing things with photographs. You were doing like drawing. Was it all like visual art mediums and, and what, what, you know, was it mostly like kind of like this, like drawing and painting type uh, image manipulation or, or, were there other types of artists that, that came in as well? And yeah, yeah. Well, Hobart, that's a great question too. And I think a good artist in residence program has to have a consideration of the circumstance, right? And at Planet, the artists were doing artwork in the common space where the meetings, the big all-hands meetings were happening. Lunch was always being eaten in this space, you know, private meetings. So I couldn't have artists that were spray painting and causing like fumes everywhere or welding or catching stuff on fire. Or I didn't have, you know, the space to like bring in a ceramics, uh, kiln, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, we couldn't be using oil paints or, you know, giant sculpture that was going to take up too much, like truly too much real estate square footage. Mm -hmm. So in this case, 2d work, small sculptural work, uh, digital design work really became what worked best. But uh, I, I can think that if we had an artist in residence program, you know, like there's one at Recology at the dump mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And the environment of that is is able to exploit the fact that, wow, we've got giant, sharp, uh, obtrusive and wildly textile things going on in in the space that the artists are going to be able to work with. So an artist in residence program is really what's happening in the common conversation and you know, at Google, because of this big COVID area that we're in, uh, we're going to be dealing with, like, how can we inspire people remotely? You know, what's happening in my studio that then I can share with 
the public there and get people involved, maybe with the camera over my shoulder watching my process mm. or when I'm delivering pieces, uh, really making sure that when they land there, that remotely, uh, maybe through video or through some sort of other experiential mode digitally, that they can be absorbed and grokked and, and the experience can be taken in by them when I don't have to be there telling the story or they don't have to be physically in front of a piece of artwork. And yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing that an artist in residence is about bringing out the magic of that moment, that circumstance. And it's rad because, you know, in aerospace and in quantum, you wouldn't think, wow, an artist absolutely should be there. But, you know, why wouldn't a storyteller be there? Why wouldn't someone that's helping facilitate creativity be there like over any other place? I got tired of making art for artists. So I, I like switched lanes and my art has never been better. Right. And I don't, I don't speak the art talk every day. Like I used to, yeah, I don't that's surround. A, that's, I think that's a potential pitfall for any creative is like, there's this, this balance that everyone's trying to strike between like, what, what can I create that can be understood and inspire the public? And what can I create that will be understood and inspire my peers? And the two aren't always the same, you know, and often, there's these decisions and I, you know, it's never clearer than in music. I have so many musician friends and there's so many musicians who are like truly, uh, you know, just revolutionary creators, but, but it feels like selling out to try to create something that for the masses, you know? And so mm. everyone, I think every artist has to find where that balance sits for them and where they can be doing work that feels authentic to them. That feels like it's respectful of, the traditions they're coming out of and the communities they're interacting with. But the hope being that you could still be uh, palatable for, for the public and inspiring and to the point where you can, you know, if not support yourself with it, at least uh, be, be touching people who, who may not be in your circle, you know? Yeah. And truly when I decided to step out of the art for artists, art show for art viewers conversation, uh, like I said, I've never been a better artist. Uh, and I think that's circumstantial. You know, there's other artists that may not uh, be able to thrive in this kind of circumstance. Mm -hmm. But I love that challenge. And to me, it's like, how can I use my the the best of my craft, the best of my voice, my creative language? How can I continue to learn? How can I continue to help others with this weird, funny, stupid, unique talent that I have of drawing pictures and putting images on surfaces? Like, I need to break out of the art world in order to have a bigger, to help more people, to have a bigger footprint, to have a bigger splash and for it to be more like long-term scalable, interesting for me. Like, I feel like it, it has built a level of resilience in me to, to where I was really tired of the art world and trying to use their language. I'm like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to use calligraphy and pictures of Yosemite and mycelium weird spacecraft looking drawings and mix them all together and put that on a quantum computer. Yeah. Like, cool. No one can say that that doesn't work when right. it's like, when that's the art form, mm -hmm. like, why not? Like, why not mix it up? Why not, you know, take it to the next level. And I love graffiti, but graffiti had so many rules that yeah. I kind of was tired of watching people get real good. And then everyone would talk shit about how great they were because they wanted to take over their dominant spot. Mm -hmm. And to me it's like, cool. 
I don't necessarily want to fight battles with art all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will. I I love the idea of like showing up, showing, showing, improving, and like getting in and getting dirty with like, cool. Let's battle art to art. Let's see yeah. who can come up. Let's see who's got the best ideas. Right. But at the same time, like, I want to bring you with me. And in shifting lanes and working with other people outside of the art world, I could bring everybody with me that I was working with. And like, that was, that's my magic. That's, that's, that is the magic that, uh, yeah, that kind of ties in a little bit to it, to it, you know, it's, it's great. And let me, let me know, you know, where we're at with time. I know you said you had, uh, you know, your family coming back in. So I, I, I got a million things I could talk to you about, but (laughs) There is one other like kind of primary topic bubble that I had on my sketch pad of, of things I wanted to touch on in this conversation. And so I'll, I'll leave it to you and trust in you to let me know uh, how much more you've been so generous with your time so far. So, Oh yeah, man. And, and I'm down to have, have more of a conversation either now or have a part two to this. Totally. You know, I don't know what time we started cause we kind of oscillated on time, but sure. you know, I'm, I'm vibing on this. And my, my fam is home. Hopefully they're upstairs bonking around. I hope they're not too loud. I got my headphones on. I can't no, really I, hear. I, I, you've been fine. I don't think it's picking up any. Um, them, but. So, I mean, I'm really, if, if you want to continue to go, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's go, let's Sweet. go for another, another theme. Great. So, so this is one that came up as I was hearing you talk about, you know, it's funny that you bring up family cause that, that's ties into this. But, um, I, I think I heard you talk about on the podcast you did with your friend, maybe it was in a writing or something, but you were talking about that you guys have uh, made the decision to, to homeschool your daughter. And I just am curious. I really wanted to, to, to pick your brain a bit about your guys's philosophy of how you're choosing to educate her. Um, you know, you said your, your partner is a, is a teacher and, and you're an artist and I'm just, that, that is one of a conversation I feel like keeps coming up. Uh, with different people in my life and I'm, and I'm so fascinated by the solutions that, that, that young parents are finding um, in, in breaking the mold that's this traditional mold that for a lot of people can really restrict uh, your own ability to think creatively or can, you know, the, the, the one size fits all traditional education system. I know for a lot of minds actually creates like a, some sort of negative connotation with, with work or with, uh, you know, the, the very things that we love, you put it in the wrong tilt and suddenly you're fighting your own psychology on it. Mm. And so I'm Mm. curious, like in, in, as you, you know, I would imagine have, have made, uh, your daughter's education, uh, you know, a, a, a subject of your own creativity, you know, what's that process been like and what's your philosophy with, <laughs> with educating your, your most prized, you know, creative accomplishment? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's the most abstract, weirdest piece of art I've ever done, uh, being a father and having a, a daughter who's now six. And to bring a little correction to what you just said, mm-hmm. uh, we are homeschooling in the sense that uh, for the last year we've been, you know, not able to send our, our child to school. Our daughter's gotcha. name is River. Her name is River. And so River has not been able to go to school for since, you know, whenever February since Mm -hmm. this started, really the last two semesters of school and summertime. Um, I have to preface this with the fact that my partner, uh, Tori, is a Montessori teacher and she is 
my saving grace, superhero, life-saving, amazing, shining star in this theme and subject matter. Because she understands and has studied child psychology and how to apply learning lessons and the steps and the aptitudes and what kids are capable of when, like that has saved me. It, it allowed me to not have to read all the stupid dry books on educating kids mm -hmm. because my, my partner, she's a, a readaholic and she read every book. And I'm like, yo, Tori, what do you think about this subject matter? And she's like, well, da, 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 da. Yeah. I'm like, oh, damn, rad. Okay. And then how about this? I'm the type of person that asks a lot of questions of professionals, but I'm not that great at reading dry material. And she's like, I will eat that book for dinner. Right. Like, cool. All right, cool. So our philosophy has been uh, very Montessori based. She got an education because she was inspired by Waldorf. Mm -hmm. And she, she as, as myself, don't feel like we got the best younger public school education. Um, not to say that teachers in public school aren't working hard because my God, they are the heroes that need to be rewarded better, rewarded better than, you know, sports, mm -hmm. professional sports and professional teachers and, and nurses, like all should be paid the same, mm -hmm. especially this year. Right. right. So, um, uh, river does go to Montessori last semester. It was homeschool. And my, my partner, Tori really led the the push on this, but this semester has been homeschool where the kids are at school half the time and R river is the other half of the time. She's hanging out with dad, hanging out in the studio, hanging out. And it's not like hang out with dad and like be extra hands on a mural. It's like, no, there's, there is a curricula of first grade work that needs to be done. And she has to get on zoom calls at eight in the morning and like be present. So I have to be the overseer because she will easily go hide with the Legos. Right. Just, just like every six year old should want to do, oh, yeah, you know, she'll nice. like go, go, <laughs> yeah. She'll draw a thousand drawings a day yeah. because that's what, what she does. And, or she'll like look at every single book in the bookshelf. We got a lot of books. We love books. And it has been up to me to learn how do I keep my kid focused and driven to want to learn how to be focused and driven? Um, how do I keep my kid excited about curiosity and the Montessori perspective is really child led. And thankfully it's all about mentorship. You know, older kids get to help the younger kids this year is ha she hasn't had a lot of interface with her older, you know, cohort because she's been home and as have all the kids, this is going to be a weird dark hole in the world's uh, education. The year of education this year has, will be, will be a hard one in the history books. But I think for us, because I have the privilege of, of my wife, my partner being uh, a teacher, you know, she can take all the credit and I just like, I'm support. I, I lift the heavy things mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm compassionate, of course, and empathetic, but also, you know, I think it's taught me as much as it's taught my daughter, like how to, how to be a good parent. And it's, she's such a little philosopher and it's so much fun to be hanging out with a six-year-old. It's like your friend that you're hanging out with that's always high on acid, yeah. right? That's always tripping. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, what did she just say? Like, what? What? Like, she's laying on the couch with her feet in the air, like throwing this weird thing around, like making the craziest noises and like talking trash all at the same time and like spitting out math facts. You're like, what? <laughs> what kind of trip is this? And then it's like six hours later. And you're like trying to continue to focus her and she's still on that track. Like I right, still high, still yeah. tripping. Yeah. 
and I'm still holding space for you, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, set and setting. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- as a parent, I believe we can't we can't tell them what to do. Like they're going to learn what kids learn. We can only create an envelope and kind of create that safe space, that permissive space for kids to be themselves. And that has taught me, you know, how can I create a better space for adults to to learn from creatives? How can I create a better space for adults to trust their own uh, their own philosophies and their own successes and failures through art? Like because I'm teaching my kid that, I can hear her upstairs singing um, at the top of her voice. I I wonder if you can hear her. Uh, it's kind of funny. So yeah, I mean, it really. A lot of my creative friends didn't want to have kids because they're like, I don't want to stop being creative so I can raise a kid mm-hmm. where to me, it's like it made me show up as an entrepreneur. It's like I need to really you know, make money so I can have money to, to raise a kid and to have, hold the family together. Um, my partner's going back and getting a second master's in education right now while she's a teacher, while she's a, an epic mom and an epic partner. She's a sweet, amazing human. Mm-hmm. And so – you know, I'm holding space for that right now too, but it's also, uh, having a kid made me be creatively more focused. Mm. And uh, honestly, I was the type of artist who liked to listen to every inspiration and try to bring it all into my own practice. You know, I would write down everything and like try to absorb and then transmutate and effectively amalgamate all the ideas into my own weird tumultuous journey yeah. where now with the kid, I'm like, okay, I only got an hour. And I know that half of that hour is going to be spent focusing my kids attention on something or like making dinner for the fam. Like, cool. I got a half an hour to actually dive into my own muse. Like I need to be more effective with my thoughts. Mm. And it's allowed me to, to really like get rid of all the things that I don't want to think about or really write, write down the ideas that I want to investigate later and not investigate them now. So the beauty of focus. It's like in writing, you know, they say brevity is the soul of wit or, you know, these effective writers who use, who have a great economy of words. And so now you're having to think about like an economy of brushstrokes or an economy of pen strokes. How can you, how can you squeeze like efficiency out of, you know, and, and how does that inspire further creativity working within like the, the new parameters or the new constraints? Yeah. And, you know, thankfully I've, I've practiced my ass off in my career. I can speak the language that I speak in my art. It comes out of me. I feel like when I make a piece of big artwork that I don't have to worry about, is it going to be successful? No, I, I do have to worry about like, will it be really good and, and innovative on, on, on some next level. But like I, I watch drawings come through me now. So then I don't need to spend all of that time worrying and confronting uh, the the practice up front because I've done the work. Really now it's like watching the meter of energy and knowing that I've only got a certain amount of energy in brain space and half of my time is going to be effectively given to this piece of artwork that I'm raising, this beautiful six-year-old old soul of a human. And like my patience level has gone up um, my ego has gone down. Mm-hmm. I've been puked on and peed on and pooped on and cussed at and like, mm-hmm. ha- ha- like dealing with my, this little six year old roommate who, if she was any other person, I would have kicked her out already. Right. 
because she's not always kind. The toddler and tyrant. <laughs> the toddler tyrant. I mean, she's still, she's like a six-year-old tyrant now. Yeah. She just understands how to manipulate me more. Yeah. And it's, be- it's a beautiful thing. Do you, you know, I would straight her. Do you ever consult her like with your work? <laughs> like a six-year-old perspective? All, all, the, all, all the time, man. Like I'll create something. The other day she was down here, like we were looking at this piece and my mom was on the call. And she's like, Dad, if you were a real artist, you would do this. And my mom, <laughs> my mom, who's also a professional artist and a teacher, yeah. she heard her say that and she almost died laughing. Really? She's like, Forrest, if you're a real artist. So it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Like, all right, girl, you know, whatever. You know, it's cool. It's cool. You go check. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Do I have my real artist license? She's um, like, this quantum computer needs more bunnies and unicorns. Like, what's up, dad? <laughs> more, more unicorns, dad. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So. You know, really, to me, we chose to have one kid so we could still focus on the pers- the people that we had been working on our whole lives. My partner is highly educated now. We're self-made. Mm-hmm. And we have really pushed to dive into our own educations and believe in the power that that will bring us as individuals. And I wasn't about to have a whole team of kids that I needed to all of a sudden dump that uh, that education and that chasing of the muse for. I didn't want to change my life for having many kids. So we chose one kid and I don't think that the world needs a lot of extra humans. Like, but I do believe in, you know, when you have a kid, it's kind of the, the reason why, why we're alive. We have this urge to procreate. We have this urge to be empathetic and sweet to each other and systems of communication. One, because we're good at procreating and, you know, two, because it's necessary for humanity to continue. But to me, it's like one and done and I can still focus on, the, my first love of my life was art and the second love of my life, you know, is my partner and my daughter. And how cool is that, that I can do it, do it all and and stay on, on point and stay focused. Sometimes I think that I've crashed the plane into the building. You know, sometimes (laughs) I feel I'm a smoking pile of, of burning embers Mm -hmm. of my soul over here because I'm crashing the plane of, of parenthood and, and creativity. But you know, for the most part, I, I go back to my sketchbook when I feel rock bottom and I'm like, all right, what did I write down last week? What did I write down last year? What were my million dollar ideas then that I can now stand upon so I don't need to have those ideas again? Well, man, and that's, 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 that's what brings me up. Yeah, that's what I tell. That's what I, you know, when I'm in my preachiest, what I like to tell my creative friends when they're feeling down, you know, my artist friends, whether they're musicians or drawers or painters or, you know videographers or whatever is like, look, you know, when you're in school, you know, the classic, the, you know, the trope that you're given the cliche criticism of choosing an art degree is like, you're never going to make any money with that. How are you going to, you know, you're, you're choosing this path. That's going to be so hard. And, and what I always have to say to my friends is like, look, man, you pick the path that allows you to metabolize the inevitable storms that you're going to have to weather. And like, for the 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 beauty of the of being an artist is that your work is taking the breadth of experience and distilling it into this form and so mm. when you have these rock bottom moments man that's the richest shit that's the <laughs> that's the the pile, the mulch pile that you get to go into and like you know it's like they're my favorite music is always comes when i get my heart broken or like when something hits me hard it's like that's when it's time to to you know it it is like you said a drug it's the coping mechanism it's the it's this you know the opportunity to take that which is 
beyond uh, what our normal sensor sensory experiences can can make uh, make clear sense of. You know, it's like the um, when life gets turned up to eleven, whether positive or or negative, whether light or dark, like the work of the artist is to, you know, is to harness that, that, that intangible energy and just like translate it so that our friends get to come along for the ride. Yeah. 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 And invite them along for, for the journey itself. Mm. You know, the, the barn parties, the, the parties around campfires, the storytelling, the looking at the stars, like mm. we're all, it, we have that, that nature in us to be, driven by the duende by the the magic that's in the the artwork the magic that's in the music and the dance that we can't not do it you know and those of us who are creative may speak may speak the instrument a little bit better but it's it is like you said i really love what you just said it's it is our duty to to make it and share it and maybe making it and share it in a small little way and making it and share it in a way that even even if we're a closet artist that only does it for ourselves, like celebrate your, your self, the self love of it all and just make art because it makes you a better person for yourself. And what is a, I've heard you say the word duende a couple times. Oh man. What is Look a, it up. What is duende? Duende. Duende is, is a Spanish word that I really love. It is the word that it's the awe inspiring nature that art is. Mm-hmm. It is the thing that art has that makes you not be able to look away it's that thing in the beautiful piece of music like you walk by the drunken sailors playing music by the seashore at the on the docks Mm -hmm. at night and they may be crooning and singing wildly but you can't not join them you can't not sit in the campfire and hear someone playing music and sing with them you can't not stare at a piece of artwork that absolutely takes your heart and like makes you transport to another place internally and into another universe or watch a movie and you're just transfixed by the new reality like it's that transfiction that magic that awe that is the duende Mm. and i adore that but the reason why i like this word is it has a secondary meaning that as a fan fantastical follower that you are it's also the word for the house elf it is the it's the elf that lives in your house like the gremlin that takes your shoes when you're taking yourself too seriously mm-hmm. like you're trying to get out of the house you're like i'm so badass that i'm going to go like go to this meeting and be the boss and all of a sudden you can't find the keys to your car to go to the meeting right you like coyote the trickster <laughs> yeah exactly it's totally the trickster that slows you down and makes you realize like be in the magic moment like be yourself in this like trust that it will happen and you don't have to overpower it. Like trust that there are animist spirits around you that will help guide you if you ask for their help. You know, like it is it is the thing that will help you. It's the genie of genius. It's the the fae, right? Yeah. And so I, I really love this the word and the idea. And I'm definitely uh religiously animist more than anything else. And I wholeheartedly believe in in the power of nature, like more than any prescriptive dogmatic religion. Like it is, we are part of nature and we will go with nature and we will, you know, the chaos of nature is trying to eat us every day. And that's such a beautiful dance, such a beautiful thing. It's the tumultuous, like you said, the mulch pile that is the chaos of life that fuels the stories that we tell. It's the drama. And the Duende is that to me. 
So, um, and one of my, one of my lifelong projects has been to continue on this wild manuscript of a story that I've been writing with a dear friend of mine. And it's a story where, uh, aliens and the Fae, aliens and the Duende, um, have ended up and are sharing the environment for the, the human's attention. And it's really like the play of the old technologies versus the new, the, mm. the, the medicines of the, the plants and the earth versus like where our brains can take us and the widgets we can make to. Sci-fi <laughs> versus fantasy, bro. Sci-fi first fantasy, exactly. And so I've been working on this story for 20 plus years and have been drawing the creatures. And that's really a go-to that is the arcing narrative of a lot of the things that I do in my spare time is think about this story and continue to add to it. So yeah, storytelling is our is our need and is our job, I think. To yeah. You know, if we ever want to be important, we have to tell our importance through story. If we ever want to understand something, we have to hear it in story form. If we ever want to understand anything visually, it has to be in a system of of understandable, of grokkable patterns and and symbols. Yeah, dog. And I love what you said about the animus because one of my favorite things to do is when I uh, on those government forums when it says religion and, and and whenever they have like the other open window, I always put down animus Jedi as my religion. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> to me, yeah, it, true. it encapsulates my philosophy as it, as it relates to both, uh, you know, the earth, you know, as you were speaking to and the, and the, the spirituality of, of, of nature and, the connection of all living things. And then, and then the force, which is my, uh, my chosen belief structure when I think about the cosmos and the interconnectivity of all things. So, mm. you know, that, I feel like those two words kind of represent, you know, I'm trying to be a Jedi in my life and my understanding of my, of the planet I live on is, is definitely influenced by the, uh, the animism. So that's right on. Um, Absolutely. Rad. Yeah, dude. Well, hey, you know, we just did an hour and 50. I feel like it's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good digestible chunk for for folks out there, uh, you know, taking drives or doing their <laughs> chores. But I do want to echo uh, very deeply uh, the intention that to uh, that this will be the first of hopefully many of these types of conversations, because I really enjoy talking to you, man. And, and you're a very interesting individual. Yeah, thanks, Hobart. I forgot that we were recording a podcast. I just kind of was chatting with you. Then I'm and, doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for that. And thank you all of all of you listeners out there that are driving or doing laundry or just sitting back on the lawn, catching some rays and enjoying this or hard at work, bringing joy to somebody else or, you know, trying to fix someone else's problems. Thank you all for doing your thing. Yeah. Really quick before we end, Forrest, can you just tell uh, tell people where they can find you? What, yeah. What are the channels to, to access your work and to access you? Really, it's draw everywhere. So, you know, look at the Instagram. It's draw everywhere studios. Draw everywhere.com is the website. Draw everywhere has been the moniker for 20 plus years. And so you can just look through those veins. My website has a lot of the stories of these things that we've been talking about. And, you know, there's a lot that has been done that we haven't touched on. So, yeah, feel free to go in the webs and and enjoy some visual stories some visual adventures get at me if you want to collaborate hell yeah dude and and on that note we can end with this uh 
we I got a project we got to talk about. I got a a a comic a comic strip I've been trying to bring into fruition, <laughs> uh, inspired by my my seven year old. He's eleven now, but when it, when we first came up with it, I think he was like seven or eight. Uh, cousin who's who making his own comic books and stuff. He's amazing. Um, but I have this idea that uh, that that I want to talk to you about. So hell yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe you should uh, serialize the episodes and make it into a kind of podcast form. So you are speaking your own language as you tell your story. That's pretty tight. Yeah. It'd be like, almost like uh, if you've seen the, um, what's the Russell show on Netflix, Mid- Midnight Gospel. Have you I have out? not. No, dude. I don't know if you're familiar with Duncan, Duncan Trussell. He's a podcaster, kind of crazy psychonaut, uh, philosopher modern day philosopher but uh they took a bunch of his podcasts and teamed up with uh this animator one of the animators from adventure time nice and made basically each episode is like a conversation one of his podcasts and then the animator has uh created like just the most trippy psychedelic adventure around it it's you know the the backstory is like Duncan's this character who has like this like multi-dimensional uh voyaging device. So at the start of every episode he like plugs into the interface and then he jumps into a new rea- you know alternate reality in the multiverse and then the episode is like the conversation going that's then being animated by this other artist who creates an amazing tripped out psychedelic world. Sounds like we need to get that guy on the podcast and interview him and Dude. how to spin up your art form. Oh, yeah. And so let's leave let's leave our listeners with something. Let's leave them with uh, I urge all of you listeners to uh, hopefully be inspired by what we just talked about. You know, thank you for listening. And also be inspired by what Hobart just spun on is, you know, using some one story to inspire up and want to spin up another one. I urge all of you to think about what you're what your solutions need to be, what your projects want to be, what your goals are and use your voice that you are good at to be creative with. Like you don't need to learn how to draw, to do a comic book. You don't need to learn how to play a piece of uh, an instrument to like be musical and just explore that. Like just give yourself permission to explore through your own voice and be creative in that manner. And this world will be so much better. Amen to that brother. And, uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Forrest. Uh, it's been really cool getting inside your head and uh, and learning all these cool things about you. And uh, I'm really glad you're my neighbor, man. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be part of this conversation. And what a what a sweet thing technology is for these kind of new world magic moments. And I'm going to step outside and give you an air high five from about three doors down. Yeah, I'll so. reach. I'll stick my head out the window too. So. Yeah. All right, my friend. All Thank right. you so much for your time. Thank you. Talk soon. Peace. Peace. Oh, yeah. We got space artists in the house on the Bart cast. We got space artists in the house. I can honestly, I can say now that my podcast, when people ask me, so what is your podcast about? I can be like, well, you know, uh, we do movie reviews, fantasy, sci-fi, space artists, you know. Um, so thank you, Forrest, for now allowing me to attach myself uh, to that, to your own success in that regard. Um, 
so fucking cool. Space artists, the final frontier of creative ingenuity. Um, yeah, guys. Well, hey, it's been a hell of a year. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I knew, I know I was like, I, I came out of it feeling, you know, you know, when you talk to someone and you like leave the conversation and you're just like, whoa, like a million ideas. My brain is exploding with thought. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt coming out of that. Um, really got the gears turning. And I, I think that uh, it's a good practice in one's life to try to surround yourself with people who who make you feel that way, who who inspire and stimulate your own creativity, your your own social mandala of of soul food, of heart food, of 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 creative stimulation. You know, talk about this like creative mulch pile. Well, what kind of soil you got, bro? You got that Fox Farm, farm Organic, bro? I try to Fox Farm Organic my my creativity at every chance I get, and so you know you kind of got to get into that, um, you know, that, uh, inspirational horticulture, if you will. And, and part of that means surrounding yourself with people that feed, uh, your intellect and your creativity. And, and I can, I can say that Forrest definitely does that on both counts. So thank you Forrest, for coming on and, uh, lending your gravitas to my humble, uh, podcast show. Um, and to y'all for, for sitting through it and listening, you you guys are the ones that really make this happen. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, well, 2020 is coming to a close. We got a couple weeks left. Today's the 23rd. I'm about to head up to, to Bolinas to be with my family, be with my folks, do some hot tubbing, eat hella food, just settle into that fam life and... Um, I mean, really, isn't that what the holidays are all about? It's it's about family. And uh, I hope that uh, you all out there are getting to, to bring connection into your lives uh, for the holidays with, with the people that you care about. Um, and that, you know, regardless of what you believe in or what, what your, you know, what stakes the season has for you, that you're able to tap into that, to the goodwill and love and cheer and just the the easing the 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 break the day off the relaxation whatever you want to call it this part of the year really feels like it's time to just kind of get cozy and and snuggle up and give yourself a holiday you know the 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 danes the danish when i lived in denmark briefly um they taught me about this concept it's called hygge it's like h y g g e would would be how it looked looks to be spelled but to us english speakers there's probably some weird vowels in there or something but higa is this concept that you know it's one of those concepts that doesn't have a direct translation but what i've been able to understand about it is that it the word means uh it's like this like congenial comfort uh brought along by um by intimacy you know with your friend group so it's kind of the way that the <clears throat> the Scandinavians stave off these cold, dark winter months uh, by by kind of cultivating higa, which is like, you know, 
you know, dinner parties with friends, you know, with the fire going and warm drinks and just this kind of comfort in the face of, you know, the harshness of the winter. And uh, I know that's something I find myself gravitating towards in an intuitive fashion. Um, oh, yeah. Stellar news. Uh, yo, if y'all live near me in the Northern Hemisphere, check out the sky this week because Jupiter and Saturn are in conjunction. Uh, they're going to be closer together uh, than at any time since, since the 1600s. I've been I've been tracking them across the sky all year and watching the two of them travel and apparent they're going apparently they're going to appear to touch uh this week. So if you can get to somewhere where you can see the stars, highly recommend checking that out, bro. Super sick. Um I think that's it. Uh thanks for a great year uh for all of you helping me get this podcast off the ground, supporting me with your ears as a creative and an artist. Thanks again to Forrest for coming on. You rock, man. I'm, I'm stoked to have a new friend and stoked by your art. And uh, to all the rest of you, much, 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 much love. Um, keep your chin up. Have a great holiday. And um, I'll see y'all in 2021, boy. Check out Forrest at draweverywhere.com. And uh, to thine own self be true. Mwah.